0: of that song I hope you feel the power of what was just spoken think of the first verse, in the darkness we were waiting without hope and without light, let's be reminded that's our normal condition apart from Christ, that's where all of us were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we were blinded to the glories of God the Bible reminds us that in the fullness of time at the right time the perfect time not a moment too early or too late God sent forth Jesus and Jesus as we just sang accomplished for us everything we needed for reconciliation with God for life and the church was born and the Spirit of God was gifted to his people. And then it says, the gospel truth of old, the same thing, the same message that has been given to God's people, it will not kneel to another. And it will not grow faint, it will not get tired of the old story. And it continues even today. And we're a part of that now. So I want to remind us of the confidence of everything that God has been doing, of the strength that we have now because the Spirit is in us. And God is still speaking to us today and still working today, church. My prayer today is that we see that so clear, so clear through His Word today. So I'm going to pray to that end. So bow with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have accomplished for us everything that we've needed. Father, thank you for sending your Son. Spirit, thank you for your work now in applying the truth and the transformation to our lives. God, I pray today that we would see you as majestic and glorious, that our hearts would be full of hope, full of joy, full of confidence, Lord, that you are the King of of kings, above all else. And all praise forever is yours, and yours alone. We love you. Amen. I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. We just finished a series on Romans 12. And one of the things we saw in Romans 12 is that God is wanting to to change our lives by the renewal of our Minds. And we need to think differently. There's a way the world thinks and the world looks, and the world is trying to conform us into that image, but the church is different. And today we're going to look at Psalm 46 because this is a song of confidence. And as we've been talking, and as we think about even in August, we're going to have a, a series. Uh, about the pastor's choice, is what we're calling it. So in the next couple weeks, you'll have speakers talking about what they feel the Lord has led on their hearts to say. And the Lord led me to Psalm 46. So as you're turning to Psalm 46, let me ask a question of you, and maybe this is going to be a terrifying question to you, but when you think of chaos, chaos, what do you think of? Where in your life, perhaps, do you see chaos on a regular basis? Now, let me define chaos. Chaos is complete disorder and confusion. Complete disorder and confusion. So my real example would be trying to clean a house. That seems chaos. Because every time I walk into a room that seemingly is clean, I turn around, and it looks great, and I turn around, and I go, oh yeah, one minute, and then all of a sudden it looks like a tornado went through there. Now, it might be because I have four kids, who love Legos. Legos are the epitome of chaos. Little pieces get everywhere. Maybe for some of you, it is the reality of a personal relationship that you have. Maybe that's in chaos. Maybe for some of you, it's you and your spouse. Maybe it's you and your parents. Maybe it's you and your kids. Maybe it's you and your friends. Maybe, realistically, you're admitting, it's actually me. I'm the one who is in chaos right now. My life is just completely in disorder and confusion. Now, let's be honest, some chaos is temporary. It's short-lived. For instance, cleaning a house, I can clean the house, even though it goes back into chaos. But there are times it's temporary. It's not long-term. But others are long-term. Others are a lot harder to deal with because there's no end in sight to some of the chaos that you're experiencing. And so they're more difficult to walk through. Obviously I think of what's happening in our nation. We have no idea what's going to happen in the next month. Schools. We have no idea what that's going to mean for people on a regular the normal things that we're expecting to happen. We have no idea what's going to actually happen and we don't even know the full aftermath of what's happening. We don't understand what it's going to do to the economy or other things like that. And there's other uncertain events in 2020 that are happening, like the elections coming up in November there's a lot of uncertainty a lot of seemingly chaos what is going to be the fallout of all of this now let's be honest this is not the first time that the world has faced a situation like that in fact if we were to be honest we could trace it all the way back to the first couple the first couple experienced chaos after their own sin now that was of their own doing was of their own doing inviting and, and bringing with them a curse that has promised, sadly, chaotic circumstances in our time. It's not, the world is not being filled necessarily with order, which was the first mandate. It's, it's often being filled with chaos. And we have to admit then that it's not going to go away until Christ returns and brings all to order under his full reign. So in between there, here we are. So here's the question. How, how can we as believers face times of chaos with confidence? How do you and I, as followers of Christ, look different from the world? That's why we're focusing on Psalm 46 today. The focus of the psalm is that God alone is with us. In the midst of any uncertainty that we face. And everything else, every every other means of confidence that we would put forward will fail. Absolutely fail. So let's read together Psalm 46. It says this, To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now notice immediately in verse 1, the focus of the psalm is the person of God. He is unique among any other object of trust. And he states the truth in verse one, and then the rest of the psalm is going to prove that that is true, that God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. But first, look at the fact that God's character is put forward as a means of our confidence. It's God's character that brings confidence. Notice it says God is our refuge and strength. A refuge is a defensive, protective place strength is the ability to continue and to persevere under the difficulty and then it says that he's a very present help in trouble the idea of present help is that he is a well-proved or proven help he has shown faithfulness so you know now that he can be trusted a very present proven help to you This has the idea of God not growing tired. He continues helping. He does not change. He didn't stop being your help. And God's help, the psalmist declares, is sufficient. It's sufficient. He is able to fully help you. He doesn't need help caring for you, and he doesn't need advice on how he can do it better. As I think of that, my kids after I tell my kids that they have to wait for dessert, the, the first thing that they do is try to convince me otherwise, why they need it now. They're giving me advice on how to care for them, even though I've told them, listen, you're going to have to wait. For des- my desire is to bless you. Will you wait for me to do it? I will be a help to you, even though you think it needs to come sooner. And you'll see that one of the focuses in the psalm is also this idea of waiting patiently for God to act. God has reasons why he's not doing it the way that we want. And so he can be trusted. Now notice the response of the person who sees God as their refuge and strength and a present help in trouble. Because this is what we want. If our hearts were to recognize it fully, this is actually what we want. This is what we need. And it says in verse 2, Therefore, we will not fear. Since God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, we will not fear. That's the goal. The goal is to trust God to the point and his confidence to the point where there is no cause of fear in what we see. Now, fear is either perceived or real danger. I remember still a message that Jasper gave a while ago about the difference between fear and anxiety. And fear would be an appropriate response to say something like a lion in front of you. There should be fear. If you're not fearful, you're probably not sane because that invokes fear. But there's also this idea of perceived fear, which we would probably term more realistically anxiety. It's what might happen in the future because of what we're seeing now. So the future is unknown because of the reality of what's happening right now. And so you're looking at this thinking, okay, so what is the psalmist not fearing in the psalm? Notice it says, therefore we will not fear though. And there's four those that he, that he mentions. He says, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar, And foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling. This is all talking about things that are earthly stability. Things that we would say would be normal, that we trust is just a normal thing in living in this world. We trust that the mountains will remain where they are. We trust that the waters will not roar over the lands. We trust that things will not tremble. These, these ideas are simply of sudden changes like an earthquake or a mudslide or a tsunami coming or even a volcanic eruption. All of these things are pictured as reversing the order of creation, the things that God has set in motion. That's chaos. It's going backwards, it's, it's not doing the thing that God has ordered. And the idea here really is what God had done in the flood. God suddenly ending the world, cataclysmic, chaotic, gone, and the earth is now unrecognizable from what it was. Imagine if these things happen. If the mountains gave way, if the waters roared and foam, and the mountains tremble at its swelling. The idea here is you're dr- you're drowning. You're drowning under the chaos. It has simply overtaking you. It's overtaking you. Now at this point in the psalm, I want you to notice that there's a little "sela" on the side. At least in my Bible, it's on the corner. I didn't miss it. But when it has that, typically it's a time of pause and reflection. So let's just think over these three verses. What, what are your trusted normals in your life? What is it that if it was taken away, it would seem like your world is spiraling out of control and you would be tempted to fear and have anxiety? A sudden change in plans or expectations, perhaps, maybe a job loss. Maybe for some of you, it's the reality of just all these government regulations causing you constant chaos and anxiety. Perhaps some of you have just recently moved and you have no idea where all of your stuff is. Maybe it's a fearful diagnosis from a doctor. Change of the expectation of your life. Maybe it's the tragic loss of a loved one. There are various changes, unexpected events that happen regularly in our life. And the psalmist reminds us that God has complete control over this chaos. Now, the question I have to ask is, why would God shake things up like that. Notice, we will not fear though this happens. Why would God shake things up like that? And we have to admit that God is very good at knowing what we're actually trusting in, what we look to for confidence, what we look to for security. And God alone is our refuge and strength. He is our help in trouble. Now, last week, Jasper mentioned uh, Jim Elliott and the men who were with him who died Uh, for the sake of Christ with the Alka Indians. And he mentioned Elizabeth Elliot and the wives and the children, going back to them and ministering the gospel and actually seeing people saved. That was not easy for Elizabeth Elliot, unless you think that that was a simple thing. She lost not only Jim, but she also lost her second husband, who died of cancer. And Elizabeth Elliot, reflecting on that, quoted Psalm 46. And this is what she said. She said, everything that seemed... Most dependable has given way. Mountains are falling. The earth is reeling. She says, in such a time, it is profound comfort to know that although all these things seem to be shaken, she says, one thing is not. God is not shaken. And so God is teaching us just in the first three verses, that his character is worthy of our confidence, and he alone, everything else that we would trust in, is able to be changed. Now, verses four through seven shows us that God's presence so, not only God's character, but God's presence with his people gives us confidence. Look at verse four it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Do you see the contrast between the river? a soft river that's giving life, water to people, and then the the raging sea in the first part. God is controlling the chaos in the midst of his people. His holy habitation, his temple dwelling is among his people. And it makes them glad. Church, do you rejoice to know that God is with you? That God is able to speak peace by his spirit in your life every day? That the peace isn't just something that he did in the past and left you to yourself. It's, it's constant. There's a river, a constant source of gladness in the city of God. And the presence of God here in this psalm signals calm and order. While notice God's absence or distance from the psalmist brings images of, of chaos. Verse 5 mentions explicitly God is in the midst of her. His dwelling is with her. And notice the response and reaction and truth. She shall not be moved. The word move there is the same idea in verse 2 where the mountains are moved. It's unstable. The city of God, the people of the city of God shall not be moved. They shall not be moved. They are not quickly shaken, by the things that are happening. This is quiet confidence and joy in God until he acts. Notice, when he acts, it says God will help her when morning dawns. God loves the morning. I was just looking at the idea of what God has done in the morning. And the Bible actually gives many examples of God giving deliverance in the morning. One of the most... uh, One that I was surprised on was Exodus 14, crossing the Red Sea. It says that all night God caused a wind to blow against the water, all night. So they had to wait all night in order for God to deliver them while Pharaoh and his army are right over there and God's keeping them at bay with a pillar of fire. So they had to wait, unknowing what's going to happen. And then it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians, their chariots and horsemen. So again, while they're leaving, they have no idea what's going to happen. They're crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. Still, here are these people wanting them dead. And it says in verse 27 of Exodus 14, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak... The sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one, not one of them survived. They saw the salvation of the Lord over the Egyptians at daybreak. Second Chronicles 20, the story of Jehoshaphat and this massive army is encamped around them and God tells them, I will fight this battle for you. You simply stand firm. And it says in the text in Second Chronicles twenty verse twenty, it says, "Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa, and they find all of the people killed, and they get all of the plunder." Hezekiah in Second Kings nineteen thirty five, they are surrounded by the by the uh, Babylonians, I believe. It might be the Assyrians, I think it's the Babylon. It's the Assyrians, the Assyrians, Sennacherib. And what happens is that they go out and they're, they're sitting there in the temple. Hezekiah is praying to the Lord, Lord, do you not hear all this stuff? And, and the Assyrian army came around and encamped around them. And they had no idea what was going to happen, no idea. And what happens is in the middle of the night, God goes out and kills 180,000 people. And it says, when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. Again, in the morning, God showed his deliverance. And the greatest one is in the Gospels, Mark 16, verse 2. It says, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, the women go to the tomb. And they find it empty. Jesus is raised early in the morning. I think of the other psalms that remind us that sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Lamentations 3 says the Lord's love does not consume us. We're not allowed to be consumed because of God's love. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. That's evidence of his faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. And some of you might say, yeah, but all I see is darkness. Well, let me remind you, you have to wait in the darkness. Darkness is confusing, it's unclear, it's frustrating, it's scary. You ask the question, when will God act, when will this end? There's an increasing darkness. Notice verse 6. He gives you a hint of what that darkness looks like. And this is a progression. It says, the nations rage. The kingdoms totter. The idea of raging, it's the same word as in verse 3, though its waters roar. Roar. So think of the unknown oceans that are just going up and down. That's what it's saying. The nations are just raging. It seems turmoil, unstable, chaotic. Always vying for power and control constantly. It's interesting in Psalm 2, The question is asked, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? It says, the kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And this is what they say let's break off their chains, let's throw off their shackles. That's what the nations want to do. That's why the nations are raging. They're trying to live out from under the authority of God. Is that not true constantly wherever you see? Nations are raging. Displays of power and control. It looks less godly by the minute. There's political parties and political opinions and everything on the news and the reports all around us just bring thoughts of chaos to us. That's normal. That's expected. The kingdoms are going to totter, sway. That's the same idea of being moved because their are places ruled by man. By very definition, they're unstable. They're quickly changing and then gone. Church, I have to remind us, we cannot trust in America. Even our money reminds us, in God we trust. But I think so often we're looking at America as a means of stability, or should be a means of stability. This psalm is saying the kingdoms are going to totter. They're going to shake. They're going to collapse. Do not be surprised if America as a country does not last forever, as we know it, as we loved it. It's not going to continue that way. It's going to change. America has already changed drastically. Just like every other kingdom in the world. And every other kingdom in the world has been moved and removed. It's gone. And God is going to bring all nations to judgment and ruin. Because what happens when God responds? Notice the nations rage. The kingdoms then start to totter, and look at what God does. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The same voice that sustains the earth in order is the same voice that is going to bring it to ruin and back into chaos and ultimately destroy it. This is, again, talked about in Psalm 2. It says, the one enthroned in heaven. So the nations are raging, trying to get out from under the authority of God, and it says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs, The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. And this is what he says. I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. You think you're the king? I already have a king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. His kingdom will never be taken away. It cannot end. So why are we trusting in a kingdom that is meant to be broken? I think perhaps we're too busy trying to preserve this kingdom instead of seeking to advance his kingdom. The two kingdoms are not the same. This is the testimony. God is in control and he is to be feared. That idea of the earth melts is not the fact that it just melts. Like you think of a candle. It's really the heart of people. Their strength, their confidence is removed. The same idea is used in Joshua chapter 2 when Rahab goes and sees the spies, or sorry, the spies come and see her and she hides them. And then she says this, she says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. The fear of you has fallen upon all of us, that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. We heard what you did to Egypt and to the king, Sihon and of the Amorites. And he says, as soon as we heard it, again, our hearts melted There was no spirit or strength left in anyone because of you. For the Lord, your God. This is the reaction, the right response. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She recognized. Her heart melted because everything else that she had confidence in was gone. She goes, all right, it's the Lord. The Lord, he's God. He's God of heaven above and on the earth beneath. God spoke judgment and ruin against Egypt and the surrounding nations took notice. And they had the choice to either fight God, rage against God, or to surrender. And we know that God is ultimately going to utter his voice. One final day in judgment, he's going to utter his voice, and the earth itself will melt. And God is going to usher in his kingdom, which will never be shaken. It'll never have uncertainty. It will never have nighttime, darkness. And it'll never have a sea. The sea is no more. Not that he's against water, but the sea is an idea of chaos, just like in this psalm. Notice the refrain. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Lord of hosts is the God of all armies, the God of all powers. He rules them all, whether they're in heaven or on earth, they're his. And the God of Jacob, Jacob, think of Jacob. Jacob is a weasel and a schemer. He's known as the supplanter, the one who wrongfully tries to take the place of another person. He and us understand so often that we often try to do what God does. We often try to take place of God. We're not trusting that God can be God. And yet God remains the God of Jacob knowing that characteristic. God is our fortress. He's our high dwelling. He is our untouchable security. And again, another Selah. So let's pause and reflect on that. Can we see and recognize how good God is in that little stanza, that you and I are invited into God's city by the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ? Can we see first that we are told that we are citizens of heaven, that we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son? So why do we fear Like we are citizens of chaos. It seems a contradiction that you and I, having an unshakable kingdom, are so easily shaken. We are not part of the kingdom of chaos. We are part of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom cannot be moved because God is in the midst of her. And so we're called to fear him. We're called to acknowledge him have our confidence in him. Even when changes are happening in our nation, even when everything in our nation rages and totters, God is still the same. He's still the Lord of all armies. He is in complete control. Now, in case you need to still see God's ability to help you, don't worry, there's another stanza. It's amazing. Notice verses 8 through 11. It's not just God's character or God's presence, it's also God's control that gives us confidence. We've mentioned it a little, but now it's explicitly stated. God is in full control. Notice it says, come, behold the works of the Lord. Now what are the works of the Lord? Maybe you and I would think, oh, it's the fact that he was so good. He supplied finances that we needed. He healed my spouse. He protected us from harm. Oh, praise the Lord. That's not what he mentions. Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth word desolations is absolute horrifying events. Unspeakable terror. Total destruction. Divine retribution. If you remember last week, we talked about vengeance is mine, I will repay. This is exactly what it's talking about. Look at what I do. I bring desolations on the earth. Anybody opposed to you? Look at them now. That's what God says to us. I think of... The 180,000 dead bodies in Hezekiah. Could you imagine bringing your kids out there? Hey kids, let's go see what God did this morning. Drinking your coffee. Oh look, at, oh my goodness. There's 180,000 dead bodies, kids. Don't touch any of them. They're disgusting. But take all the stuff off of them because it's really worth a lot. Could you imagine? That's the testimony to your kids. Look at what God did to his enemies. Don't oppose him. He's reminding us all will be defeated. No one is going to resist him. To resist him is to be destroyed. God never loses a battle. There's never a question of that. But here's the question we have to ask Are we one to often fight against what God is doing? What if God actually wants us to be in a time of chaos as a nation? Notice how he describes the desolations. He says, he's the one who makes wars cease to the end of the earth. It's not that he flies a little peaceful dove over. It's because he's demolishing them. He's conquering them. They're ruined. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He's able to do that. But right now, again, we're looking at it and saying, well, God, why aren't you doing doing that? He's purposefully prolonging this time and causing perhaps even more uncertainty, more confusion, more difficulty. And again, we have to admit, perhaps, perhaps, God knows exactly what you and I are actually trusting in. And it's not going to be seen in one month, or three months, or five months. Because we can convince ourselves that we're actually trusting in God. And God's like, no, you're not. I'm going to show you what you're trusting in. And it's going to take a long time because you and I are stubborn. Stubbornly refusing to trust God. We're so quick to trust what we see. And then comes a very famous verse. It says this, be still and know that I am God. I want you to notice what just preceded that. I make desolations on the earth. I'm the one who fights. So you be still. Be still. You know that I am God. The idea of being still is surrender, give up. Stop fighting what I'm doing in your life as if you know what's best. When things aren't going the way you want it to, be still, stop complaining, stop raging. You're just like the world, constantly wanting to be out from underneath my control. Why? God is the one showing complete control. I think of the words, be still. In a memorable scene in the life of Jesus, he is sleeping on a boat during a storm. All of his disciples are freaking out like they're going to die. They have to wake Jesus up. Do you realize Jesus is the epitome of perfect peace and trust in God in the midst of a raging storm? Jesus never lost confidence in his father to care for him. In fact, Jesus recognizes their lack of faith. And he gives them evidence of reasons why they should trust in him. And he stands up and he says, peace, be still. And that chaos immediately is calm. Immediately. That is a beautiful picture of this entire psalm. Jesus is the one who reminds us that he brings peace and stillness. And he's an example of following his Father in perfect peace in the midst of it. Notice the reason he tells us to be still is because he says, I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. Our confidence in God, our being still, is a testimony to the world that God is great. If you're living in fear, there's no testimony that God is your confidence or that God is great or worthy of your hope at all. God is going to be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth But how is God looking when people talk to you? What are they seeing about God when they hear you? What are you saying to people? I think of this also, that God's victories are often unrecognized or easily forgotten. That God has won many victories in our past. And we often Replace them with now the chaos that is happening. We forget to thank him and recognizing that that's a means of faithfulness and love that was displayed by God. Think of this. We talked about the Egyptians and them being destroyed. How long was it before the Israelites forgot their deliverance from Egypt? Three days. Three days. They immediately started complaining about water. You brought us out here to die, Moses. Three days. Days, A month and a half later, same thing. They complain about manna. They said, oh, it would have been better if God had taken us in Egypt. This is too long. What's happening? Think of that. They're in a wilderness. God removed everything from them. They are fully dependent on God. Three days, start complaining against God. And here's the truth. We know better the faithfulness of God I often think of Romans 8. I know it's a known passage by many of you, but let's remember what it says. If God is for us, who can be against us? So if God is in the midst of his people, what is it that is going to happen to us that would actually cause us to stop doubting God? The one who did not spare his son. The father didn't spare his son, but he gave him up for us all. Don't you think that if he does that, he's going to also graciously give us all things? That's the question of Paul. He says, so who who is going to separate us from the love of God? Who is going to do that? If they bring tribulation, if they bring distress, if they bring persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, a sword, you die. Is that going to separate you from the love of God? He goes, no, no. In fact, not only does it not separate us from the love of God, but in the midst of it, you and I are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. He's not going to leave you in the midst of us. That is unshakable, unshakable. It seems to me like God is very good at using this time to make us be still. And then he ends the refrain again, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And then the final refrain, Selah. So let's have some thoughts. First of all, I think the admonition in this is surrender your confidence to the Lord. The idea of being still, of being a refuge and strength, a fortress. You don't leave a fortress when things get crazy. That's foolish. You remain in the fortress, you remain in Christ. The world wants us to break out, is encouraging us to make things work our way and get rid of the, promise, or the problems of chaos in our time and the way that we want it to happen. Let me be reminded that restlessness always leads people to disobedience. It ruins peace. Charles Spurgeon said, impatience complains of divine delays. But in every deed, God is not slack concerning his promise. He says, man's haste is often folly. God's apparent delays are ever wise, ever wise. And when rightly viewed, in fact, there are no delays at all. But we often want control. I don't like uncertainty. But let's be honest. Look, What are we going to do? We're going to fill our minds with things that cause more uncertainty instead of focusing on the certainty? God's telling us, this is certain. Why are you focusing on uncertainty I think some of you are anxious because every day you focus on things that cause you anxiety. Why aren't they giving us hydrochloroquine? Why are we still wearing masks? I think the curve is pretty flat. How flat do we need it to go upside down? What are we doing here? This is all, anyways, a massive conspiracy. You know that there's a serious evil agenda behind all of this. And God's word seems insufficient to give us the information, so we're going to look for it on the news. We're going to look for it on Facebook. Now, listen to me. I'm not saying you can't know what's going on or think through the ramifications of what could be. As a parent, many of us are thinking, what is school going to look like? Maybe some of you are still, I don't even know what my job is going to look like. But you cannot neglect what is certain for filling your mind with what is uncertain. How are you doing at being still and knowing that he is God? Now perhaps some of you think that God wants you to find out all the answers about what is going on, and you're going to share it to everybody because does that help them be still and know that he is God? All the information you're giving them, does that help them? Because it's not helping you. It's not helping you be still and know that he is God. It's not helping you exalt in God among the nations. People aren't seeing your heart fixed on God. So the best way to be still is probably not to do anything that would take away from you knowing that he is God. To be still would be to stop doing anything that would take away your focus from knowing your confidence that he is God. That, that would be a great use of your time. Perhaps then you could say like the psalmist, we will not fear, though, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Because your confidence would increase. Because you would know the God you're called to trust. The God who's faithful, who's with you, who's always in control. And let's, let's just admit, God is so good at controlling the world so good at controlling the world you know how I know that because he doesn't do it the way I would do it he's so much better at it he doesn't do it the timing I would do it because he's so good at controlling everything perfectly I know we're seeking to do this as I read and study this psalm it is hard to learn to do this it's not easy because everything that I see everything that we see changes But let me remind you, the one who is unseen always sees. The one who seems distant is intimately near. The one who seems silent right now is constantly speaking. And the one who seems weak is undeniably strong because God is our confidence. An old hymn says it this way many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Let's pray. Father, that is not an easy thing for us to admit. Father, it's not easy for me to recognize in the midst of all of the chaos. I cannot imagine seeing all the chaos constantly, even the examples that you give of mountains truly being moved, of cataclysmic events taking place. But Lord, we're living in a time of uncertainty and there's going to be many more of them. But Lord, we are certain of this, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You have been enthroned on high and no one, no one will take away that from you ever And Lord, we are citizens of your kingdom by your mercy, by your kindness. Lord, I pray for those who do not know what it means to be a citizen of your kingdom, to be a part of your family, your people. Lord, perhaps the raging and the anxiety and the fact that we're not trusting you is evidence that we don't know you. Lord, in this psalm it says, be still and know that I am God. Lord, I ask that you would still our hearts. you would help us to know with confidence that you are the one who controls it all even when it seems like everything is giving way Lord there's a truth that we need to see so show us Lord give us insight into your word fill us with your spirit Lord I pray for the families now people watching Lord fill their house fill their minds with your spirit do a work in them today to see that you are our refuge and strength you are our help very present help never leaving us and never changing. God, we love you. Thank you for those promises. Help us, we pray. Amen.
1: my morning sun though darkness fills the night it cannot hide the light whom shall I fear you crush the enemy underneath my feet you are my sword and shield though trumbles linger still Shall I, I know who goes before me, I know who stands behind, the God of angel armies is always by my side, the one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine, the God of angel For oh, you alone can say, you will deliver me. Yours is the victory.
2: For you, who's behind you, is the reality that God is with you in a very present help. In a time of trouble, in every moment of life, is that enough for us? Our restlessness and our fear may reveal that God isn't enough, that we need something more, that we we want we want something other than the grace that He's given us and the gift of His Son good news is that, yes, us as the enemies of God and sinners can be forgiven, but we get Jesus, we get God, He's ours, He loves us and He's made a way for us, and when we lose everything, and everything is stripped from us like Job, we can look up to the one who made us, and even now, thousands of years later, after Job, we have the full revelation of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, and He belongs to all those who call upon Him with forgiveness and salvation and an inheritance and, and a promise of eternal life and we get Jesus himself but he gets the preeminence over everything over everything which means we lay our lives down and we say my goal then is to glorify you God and to lift your son up in every circumstance in life and the harder life gets the greater their opportunity is to glorify the name that's worthy of all praise church we we love you. We hope that you have a wonderful week. We hope you would reach out to us if you're in need of anything, if you need prayer, anything, we are here for you. And we hope you would continue to encourage one another, especially as we see the day approaching. So have a great day and know this always, it is true and it never stops being true. You are